We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King, London 2022. Wait a minute. No, no, it's not London 2022. It's uh, Lundor because I'm still in Baltimore. So we at least got to be fa- we got to be fair in how we we split this um this ocean, this geography. So it will soon be London 2022, but right now it's Lundor. So for all of you listening, I want you to go to Google real quick and see if you can find a place called Lundor. And if you find a place called Lundor, L O N D O R E, uh, tweet Julie and I and put hashtag crazy in the king or hashtag CATK uh, and put a link so we can click on it and see where the hell Lundor is located. <laughs> How you feeling? Uh, good, good. At the time of this recording, just landed on a delayed flight um, and happy to be back. Pumped about Wreckfest. I know by the time this actually when this airs, uh, we will you and I will be on stage for the the duration of the day various yes, stages indeed. and to be very very fun day and we can uh, decompress and catch everyone up on that next week yeah and speaking of flights you know i found a story last week uh and it was an interesting story so um l- l- let me just read it to you i can't even remember where i saw it but but i'm gonna at least put quotes around it because i don't want people to feel like i'm stealing someone else's content and and this story is it was from a reader. Her, her name is Ann W. She's from Charlottesville, Virginia. And she said, Julie, that my daughter was on a flight with her 14 month old daughter who was overtired, refusing to nap and crying. Another passenger, a young woman named Jill, offered to hold the baby for a bit. The baby settled down, fell asleep in Jill's arms and Jill held her until the plane was about to land. And anyone who has had an out of control baby on a plane can understand what a blessing this is. Now, you have children, Jay. Have your children ever clowned you on an airplane? I'm pretty sure my children have clowned me everywhere. But on an airplane, I've been pretty lucky. Restaurants, no. Okay, so pretty lucky. So Nikki reminded me uh, when I when I laughed about this story, she said, oh, you you apparently don't remember when Nadia clowned us on a flight to Florida. And I was like, no, I mean, tell me like what she did. And so she went into how Nadia would not because Nikki was breastfeeding. Nadia would not latch on. Nadia wouldn't take a pacifier. Nadia wouldn't take a bottle. So literally the steward of the flight while he is serving drinks, Nikki said he had Nadia on his hip and he was rocking with Nadia up and down the aisle serving drinks and bouncing her. And she was quiet as a church mouse. The steward on the plane had to call. And I know I was probably somewhere in the corner embarrassed. She's a baby, (laughs) but I know I was probably like, can you please baby be 
quiet. <laughs> like, I don't want everybody looking at us because you are the reason why. But I shared it because we both, um, we enjoyed flights this week. And, and there was a scenario um, of a flight that was going, I think it was Delta. And Delta offered passengers on an overbooked flight from Michigan to Minnesota, according to the columnist Jason Atten, offered them $10,000 to give up their seat. So the question is, would you have given up your seat for 10 Gs, for 10 stacks? From Minnesota to Michigan? Hell like yes. An, a four, uh, like a 30-minute <laughs> flight, 40-minute flight. Yeah, and then I'd have used it and turned around and bought myself some Delta One action on my next overseas trip. Hell yeah. Let me yes. tell you, there was a person on Twitter who said if they would have offered me $10,000, I would have stood up, walked out the door, down the steps, under the plane, grabbed my luggage, and walked <laughs> back in the airport. And I would have walked back in the airport and sat my ass down. He said for $10,000, I did everything that they were supposed to do for me and would have sat in that airport and waited for the very next flight for 10 stacks. Jay, I got to tell you, um, there's not much that I wouldn't have done. I would have gotten off that plane. Well, and I'm going to tell you, there's no way it would have gotten to $10,000. Like I want to meet the people on that plane who were like, no, $8,000. No, not good enough. $9,000. Not good enough. And that they I I that they actually got it to 10,000 is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. So, so let's hit a couple of stories and and then we'll um we'll make it down to our first commercial break which we absolutely appreciate each and every one of our sponsors, Jobvite, Talvista, and clinch we really appreciate all of them so uh google is going to start auto deleting abortion clinic visits from user location history and i think that this is a really really big deal especially coming on the heels of our very strong conversation last week uh, around roe roe v wade and shout out to you tracy cole and everyone else who shared that episode chad Sowash, who shared that episode around what we did, you know, and it was, I was feeling, I don't want to use the word inferior, but I said it in the recording. Like, I wish that I just had more insight and more data and more reference points in the story, but it's not my life. It's not my circumstance. And so it's not something that I am a virtuoso at, but shout out to those who shared our episode and conversation and shout out to Google for taking this step to try to protect women of all stripes across the entire country. I think that that's phenomenal on their part. Yeah. I mean, and I think that it really gives us a, a much clearer idea. And we've had several instances this week that give us a clear idea of what the confusion of a post-row world looks like, right? So we're already talking about states who are going to the to their legislators to try to ban interstate travel, which is directly in the constitution um, for women to be able to cross over state lines to get access to abortion services. We had a 10 year old in Ohio who had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion this week. A you said a 10 year old? A 10 year old who was raped and was six weeks and three days pregnant and was refused service in Ohio. 
So, so let, let, just for a second, I don't want to stay on this for a long time, but there's the, the, the commentary around, uh, I can't remember who put the tweet up. Oh, my dear friend, uh, Rebecca, she put up a tweet. Uh, she's a doctor. And basically she says a lot of the stories that we are, when, when we're talking about Roe v. Wade, we, we use the example of rape, the unwanted yep sex and we tie that story to the Roe v. Wade piece. And what she said is I caution people around making that only or that singular reference because all women need yeah. the access regardless if they want it and they they just need that. So how do you feel yeah. about that? Uh I agree a hundred percent. I think okay. that we we try to create characters that other humans might be able to empathize with or have sympathy for um, versus, you know, some of the other stories that we're hearing this week about, um, you know, regularly prescribed drugs for other conditions now being denied in states by insurance because they could potentially cause miscarriage or be used to induce an abortion. Yeah. Um, and so that's really where like all the gray comes in. And, and, you know, I think the other thing that has really been hitting me this week, and I will tell you transparency, I'm still processing it um, in a pretty raw, raw way is, you know, black and indigenous women um, are really putting white women in their place again, as 98% of the time we deserve to be put in our place um, about the lack of access and, and healthcare that, women of color have experienced for the entirety of our, of our nation. Um, and then when the plug gets pulled on a, on a white woman's right to have that same access is when sort of we blow up. Um, it's always a day late and a dollar short, I think is, is the attitude from a lot of black and indigenous women. And I hear, and I understand it's, it's hard for me to process. Um, but I think that's, you know, these are really important conversations that, women and our allies need to be able to have together and have those, that real transparency and that real honesty, because this is, I, I think this is a, it, it will be a change moment for, for white women. And it's, can we keep, can we keep that energy alive? Like we're able to do with, with black women, especially um, in being our political advocates and allies and activists um, and showing up to vote every single time. It's an, it's an important conversation. Yeah, it is an important conversation. And let me tell you, you know, I, I do understand the, 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 uh, the tension that you are referencing in, in your comment, you know, when, when you are in that category that is being asked, that is being challenged, that is being criticized, if you will, and, Certainly there are other adjectives we could use to describe that action, that conversation that is happening. Sometimes it's hard, that tension to divorce yourself from the emotional feeling, um, to just be able to look at it and say, okay, well, is there truth to that? And, and what I say to people is just look at the four gates of speech. If you Google the four gates of speech, or if you Google the five gates of speech, you'll come up with very succinct considerations. And, and this is what I challenge people to consider when information is coming at them that may not sit well with them. So thank you for sharing that. I, I appreciate that. Um, I will say uh, the conference board, the piece that they uh, released, a survey 
uh, it asked a question. And basically the survey, Julie, was around professional development is key to retaining talent, but people of color uh, report less access to professional development. And and the I, I think the seminal question in the, the survey was around um, when asked, how likely are you to leave your company for another if you do not receive the development opportunities you believe you need? That was a, a really just a seminal, simple, to me, core question. Like every single person working, growing, living, we, we want to be developed. We, we, we want to feel like there's some degree of growth in how we are showing up in our family, in our relationships, in our friendships, at work, professionally. And they said that people of color, A, have lack, less access and are more likely. They also went on to say uh, other uh, people, brown folks, Asian folks, felt exactly the same. Like, I don't see that as being so alarming. Let me let me clarify that. I see it as being alarming because we're talking about it. I I see it as it it should just be central to if I'm going to hire you, I'm going to develop you. Yeah, I I mean, I think this. And we just see this. You and I work on the the talent acquisition side and, and the culture side so frequently is that talent is just throwaway. It, once you're an employee, your your value, it's like it's like a new car, right? It as mm. a, right, you're I just thought of that. Oh, hold on. Mm. It's like a new car, right? As soon as you start day 1 and you get driven off the lot, your value plummets. And we see that. We see that happening um in so many companies uh, across the globe um in the way that they treat talent and and it's not just black and brown talent, but we know that other systems and biases and discrimination amplifies that when it gets to black and brown talent. Um, I don't see professional development happening um, in a lot of really important ways. So I think this is a fantastic um, analysis out from the, the conference board. Yeah. And I, I give the side eye, Julie, um, I saw a story over on people of color in tech. Uh, and the story says that racism could ruin the metaverse. Uh, and that was said by, uh, Blavity's CTO, like racism could ruin the metaverse. I, I just have a side eye when, when people throw racism in comic characters, in cartoons and superheroes. It's amazing to me that something that we deal with in real life finds its way into fiction, into fantasy. Um, It's just, and I'm not discounting what he says. I I think that it could very much so happen. And I mean, it happens on social media. So why wouldn't it happen in the metaverse? It's just amazing to me that folks are that are that married to something so dangerous and negative yeah. and toxic? Yeah. And, and speaking of uh, negative, dangerous, and toxic, uh, we have two uh, stories on the disability side this week with Hobby Lobby facing a federal lawsuit after firing an employee who requested working with a service dog, the EEOC says. Uh, And we have our friends at the Society for Human Resources Management um, coming to a settlement to increase accessibility 
uh, for people with disabilities and in pure HR form, God love you guys, you drive me nuts, $220,000 to admit that you didn't do anything wrong. Make sure that you sometimes do transcripts and that you sometimes have sign language interpreters at your conferences and you will work on finding some ways to increase accessibility for um, training, website, all of that. And then to go further and say, we, we didn't really do anything wrong. We're just doing this to avoid the risk and uncertainty and inconvenience an expense of further litigation. I will change that further litigation to having to deal with a quarter of the U.S. population who also happens to be a person with a disability. Good job. Sean. Yeah. And you started those last two stories. Um, well, somewhere in the middle, you used the word friend. So I think this is a great time for us to transition to one of our friends. Let's listen to an ad break and then we'll be back with In a Flash. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business, when you need it, from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, awesome. Uh, in a flash, in an emotional meeting last week, nearly 100 years overdue, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted five to zero to transfer ownership of the land to the great grandsons and great great grandsons of Charles and Willa Bruce. Love that. And we talked about this earlier in the year. Uh, Charles and Willa Bruce brought uh, some property dubbed Bruce's Beach back in 1912 in what would become the city of Manhattan Beach, California today. It is actually well documented that this move under the guise of eminent domain was a racially motivated attempt to drive out the successful black business and its patrons. And that was said by the County Board of Supervisors in a motion to completely return the land. One woman that will not be making our Her Voice segment is fugitive Ruha Ignotava. She's known as the Crypto Queen and she's wanted for her alleged role and running a cryptocurrency Ponzi scheme, defrauding investors out of more than $4 billion. The FBI is offering a reward. I don't know if you know them folks, but if you know them, you might be 10 stacks richer, actually a hundred stacks richer. Not all teachers are made the same. Apparently writing your neck of the country, Jay, Ms. Jane Par Pearson she taught for 38 years. And if you have not seen the TikTok, I saw it over on parents.com. This education veteran made such a lasting impression on her students that 11 years after they first stepped foot in her classroom, they surprised Miss Jane Pearson in her backyard as graduating seniors. You got to just watch it because it just might make you smile or tear up a little bit. And last but not least, this week, the NAI DOC awards will be handed out. 
The NAI DOC Awards are a celebration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander strength, excellence, beauty, intelligence, and commitment. And a few headlines that you may have missed. Remote work availability for white collar jobs is down. That's over on HR Dive. Candidates abandoned the recruiting process at shockingly high rates over on ERE. And how to avoid getting dragged into... Let me just keep the article the way they said it. How to avoid getting dragged into meetings. Wall Street Journal. Definitely, definitely reading the last article. Let's continue talking. So the conference board piece for me, Jay, was interesting. Again, I said, you know, and and your analogy was great. Like it's a used car. When we bring folks in, in many instances, they begin to lose value. We talk so much about employee engagement. We talk so much around um, uh, inclusion and equity surveys. We talk so much around professional development. Reskilling seems to be one of the words we love to throw out. How we need to upskill people. That's another one that we love to throw out. We use all of these flowery phrases, but when they looked at the 1,200 individuals in the study, and I believe the conference board did the study uh, back in May, just two weeks, May 16th through the 31st, predominantly professional office workers, about 1,200 people. They found that folks of color had less access to being professionally developed. What they actually said was some 68% of Black respondents, 70% of Hispanic and Latin, Latina respondents, and 80% of Asian respondents said, I'm gone. Like, if you're not going to invest in me, I'm out of here. I'm looking for another place to hang my hat for 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week. It makes sense to me. Yeah. I I mean, and I think that's the thing that also, I mean, there's, there's so many sort of little nuggets that I could pick up on from what you said. And and the first one I would say is, you know, all of the flowery words. Um, if we really believed in those flowery words, you know, we would actually be reskilling and upskilling our current workforce where it needs to be happening. And based on the sheer volume of openings, we know that that's not happening. We know that people are not being afforded the opportunity to grow within their current organization, and they have to, right? I mean, 70%, 71%, 87% are saying, we're not getting it here. Um, and that should be a wake-up call to employers who are having just outrageous time to fill metrics right now and having outrageous, um, you know, cost of vacancy, you know, that, that they could be avoiding and we're just not spending the time. And I think part of it is that, you know, HR and TA, they're always very reactive. It's not proactive because- are, But are they, are, are they always reactive? Yeah, I, I have not met, and I don't know all of the HR people in the world, so take it for what it's worth. I have not met HR professionals that are treating themselves and pitching themselves as profit centers, basically, 
right? The business doesn't exist without the people. They're always going with a, a sort of a beggar hand to say, we need more, we need more to do this, to do that, without proving the business case. And when you start to change that conversation about why TA is worth investing in, why our people are worth investing in, why these things happen, you start to change the mentality of how you do your job and how you see the position that you're in. And so I will say in a stereotypically vague fashion that I don't see HR and TA people um, making the case for why they need to be to be resourced to be more proactive. And you know, I think it's cyclical. Yeah, that's um that's interesting because I, I think about, you know, the work that that we do um uh under TE, you know, the team, the consulting that we are doing, trying to help organizations to better op- operationalize and optimize their DNI, their DEIB. We do absolutely advocate heavily for changing the narrative in the conversation and not feeling as if you are or should just be happy that you're giving a little bit, if you will. Like, like you should be far more vocal about taking risk, trying new things establishing new relationships. We absolutely advocate for challenging status quo protocol. This is procedural, the way that we've always done it. Um, I I absolutely, now I, I struggle only with your statement in the sense of HR and TA are Respond, uh, reactive because I, I, I try to think, you know, and, and, and perhaps this is the good side of me. I, I want to give more of them the benefit of the doubt. They've sat under the voice of, uh, listen, I'm not going to call any names because I don't want to leave any people out and I don't want to say some folks' names and I don't necessarily know their entire footprint, their background, but there are some folks and we all know them that are almost at every conference. They're on the stage all the time, always speaking. And I'm speaking for those that are either in HR or TA and maybe, yeah, just stay there, HR and TA. And I know for the last three to five years, Jay, they've been saying, you all can't be re- reactive. You, you have to be able to show your business unit, your department as a profit center. You are adding something to the business. And and in that, Jay, it requires you to have a different conversation. So I, I want to say that they've been listening. But then again, I say we've also been, you know, um, generating reports of the, diver- the business case of diversity and inclusion and shit, they still aren't doing that. Yep. So, I mean, maybe I don't, maybe I don't, maybe I'm unfair in taking issue with what you're saying. I mean, I think that, you know, you and I have such a a vast circle of kind of people that we run around with. That's a very 80s term, run around with together professionally, but also, you know, outside of those circles that we bring a unique perspective to it. And and I'm certainly being broad um, and probably unfairly so. So it's good that you, you, you be the good the good angel on my shoulder um, every once in a while. But I, I do think, you know, the other thing that you hit on and it's, 
broader than just HR and TA, but I would say employees in general, I don't, I feel like they need to be a little more greedy. Let me put it that way. Um, Explain that. I like that. So there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this week about how basically anyone who's been in the, the job or, or been in, you know, been employed, let me try it again, um, since 2010, kind of as their first jobs, they're, they're about to experience what whatever recession is coming and that their bosses are not going to be begging them to come to work and giving them everything that they want and just being happy that they provided an application. And I just sort of like read that article and I went, when the fuck did did hiring managers and, and corporations start being so grateful for you applying for a job? Everyone's still going into the black hole. It's still a shitty candidate experience, right? Um, and already the powers that be at the Wall Street Journal are saying, hey, this isn't this isn't enough. You need you're you are already getting too much. So be prepared to get even a lot less. And when I'm talking to employees that, you know, we work with all of the time at Disability Solutions and, and in other organizations, there is a desire to be taught leadership, to be developed, to have access, even if that doesn't necessarily include like the promotion, it, it is the lateral move that eventually gets that promotion. There is hunger for that, but people are very reticent sometimes, I think, to say so because, and I would say, especially in my experience, again, with women of color who are hesitant to be um, labeled as as angry black women, as being overly aggressive, as um, you know, thinking that they've already got a pretty good lot. They don't want to push push the envelope. And I think that collectively, you know, employees need to push the envelope. Um, they need more. We deserve more. We deserve that recognition. And and honestly, all it can't always come in dollars. A lot of times it should, but it should come in those opportunities to have professional development so that if you move on to the next role, whether it's at this company or the next one, you've had that experience. Um, and we need to start demanding that, I think. Culture is the the, the big banner. You know, culture is kind of mm-hmm. like the airplane that's in the sky that that has the flag behind it that that makes an announcement, if you will. Culture is is up top. And and I always say that culture is not something that the organization necessarily creates. I think culture is created inside of individuals condition and circumstances. I say that often. And and I think that we bring that to, you know, uh, to the workplace. And in my circumstances, I want to be developed. I want to be poured into. I want to be resourced. I want to be supported. Uh, Cynthia Owang, uh, I I, I think it's O-Young, actually. Uh, It's O-W-Y-O-U-N-G. Cynthia O-Young, she says in her new book, All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real a workplace culture of inclusion that delivers results. Now, Cynthia is the vice president of inclusion, equity, and belonging uh, over at Robinhood. And she says basically um, that targeted leadership development, ones that explore growth through the perspective of professionals from overlooked demographics and who may be bringing in some culturally specific concerns could make a huge difference. Leadership programs need to move past assimilation to help employees learn the strategies they need to employ to be their authentic 
selves as leaders. And, and that's what professional development is all about. It may not be leadership as in title, but people want to know that they are being poured into because it is helping them to be a better, we'll use leader as the catch-all, but it'll make me be a better employee. It'll make me be a better team member, better collaborator, better strategic thinker. If, if I am being resourced and developed, I know that I am showing up um, in a better place for my organization. Finally, let's close it out. But I, I think that, you know, closing it with uh, some thoughts from Dr. Jessica Kriegel are important. And Jessica says, Dr. Kriegel, I'm sorry, respectfully, Dr. Kriegel says that you can measure culture. And she says that it's strategy times culture equals performance. And she gives eight things for us to consider. She says access to information is important. Hierarchical structure is important. Horizontal integration, responsibilities to employee, responsibilities to organization. And the final two are rewards and punishment and performance management. You can measure your culture if you are looking at those eight factors. Again, her name is Dr. Jessica Kriegel. She's a highly recognized innovator, consultant, and thought leader on quantifying workplace culture. So I think that the the conference board survey is a good quick read. Again, it happened just this year in May. They looked at or talked to, reached out to 1,200 individuals. You can find the survey. We'll put the link in the show notes. You can go to conference-board.org. Again, conference-board.org. Or you can follow the conference board because they do some really, really amazing work on Twitter at conference board. Again, on Twitter at conference board. Awesome. Let's uh, catch our next ad break and jump into her voice. How much do you understand the future of finance. I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Her voice is where we amplify women that are making moves, and we got a long list to start with this week, Jay. So I want you to do this one. I want you to knock out this long list right here. All right, this week we start with a few swift kicks, a hell of a defense, a flip here and another flip there, and the White House. Megan Rapinoe and Simone Biles will receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Other women on the list, um, only if fair we announce their names as well. Uh, Sisters Simone Campbell, Julieta Garcia, Gabrielle Giffords, Sandra Lindsay, who's a critical care nurse, Diane Nash, and... Brigadier General Wilma Vaught, one of the most decorated women in the history of the U.S. military, who repeatedly broke gender barriers as she rose through the ranks. When she retired in 1985, she was one of only seven women generals in the armed forces. 
And we have NBC Universal President of Distribution and Business Development, Maggie McLean Sunowick. She is leaving the Peacock for the Bluebird. She's joining Twitter in the newly created role of Vice President of Partnerships. So if you are listening and you are in an organization that desires a new partnership with Twitter, hit up Maggie McLean Sunowick. All right. And then we have DoorDash has hired Pinky Cole, who we've chatted about before, owner and founder of vegan hamburger chain Slutty Vegan as chief restaurant advisor. Yes, indeed. Shout out to you, Pinky Cole. She has Baltimore roots. I don't know if you knew that. Um, And ABC News correspondent Kaylee Hartung. She's our last Her Voice being amplified this week, but she is uh, leaving the news outlet uh, ABC News to join Amazon as the streamer's first ever Thursday night football sideline reporter. Now, I'm curious, Jay, have you ever watched Thursday night football on Amazon? I have. You have? have. Yeah. Interesting. So this year you are going to be able to see Kaylee Hartung as the first the first ever to do sideline reporting on the channel. Love that, love that, love that. We don't have any quick mentions this week, uh, but we do have disability Twitter. And let me tell you something. I am so glad that you and I agreed to put this new segment in to our episodes because it just continues to keep me close to the community, a community that is often overlooked, not talked about enough and reminds me of some of the things that I am able to take for granted. Oh, did you see what I just did there? I am able to take for granted. Reminds me of some of the things I am able to take for granted. So this week, Rachel Couples is doing her networking thing on the Twitters and she's actually asking people to connect with her. I loved that Rachel put this tweet out and I made sure that I retweeted it earlier in the year, uh, earlier in the week. And if I remember, I'm going to try to go back and retweet it one more time uh, before Saturday. Yep. And then we have a short thread dealing with all things or of all things, grocery shopping from Nicole underscore Lee underscore SCH, which we will post on our uh, Facebook and Instagram feed this week. And then last but not least, this one comes from Izzy, the trash activist. Her Twitter handle is pretty long. So uh, let me just say, if you go out and find Izzy, the trash activist, she asked a question. She says, how do I reach hashtag disability Twitter? Because I want to fly to Rome in August. I'm afraid they won't let me board the plane or stay on if I'm having abnormal movements or convulsive episodes. My doctors will write a note, but I'm very afraid. Has anyone ever convulsed on a plane? And again, I know that every once in a while, you might have a seizure or some scenario. But what it sounds like from Izzy the Trash Activist is that this is a more consistent happening for her, something that she cannot control and she's absolutely afraid. And here's the deal, Jay, the same way that we started the show, she's not going to be one of those individuals offered $10,000 if she's asked to be removed for, or if she's removed from the plane. One of the things that I don't have to think about and others do. 
Shout out to all of the folks that we highlight in Disability Twitter and everyone else that is using the hashtag. And to each and every one of you, we're reminding you that you too can be a part of the solution. Get on Twitter, do hashtag Disability Twitter, and find out what's going on. So listen, I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice, be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, better workplaces. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.